0: changes it. Now it sounds like faith is synony- synonymous with like a religion, right? So it's a tricky word, this word faith. Faith is the very first word in the first verse of chapter 11 of Hebrews, and it's the theme throughout the whole chapter. Hebrews 11, one says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Now, our Bible study author actually quotes Warren Wearsby when she gives a definition of faith. Warren Wearsby says, true Bible faith is confident, obedient to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. Now, the new Strong's Expanded Dictionary Bible Word says faith means trust, confidence, assurance, and belief. I want us to really wrap our heads around faith, get a real strong foundation of what faith is before we keep talking. Tony Evans says something that really rang, made, it, made it more clear to me. Tony says, the one definition I always told my children is that faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Faith is an action done in response to God's viewpoint on a matter. Now, I get this. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth, taking God at his word. In other words, if I actually believed what God says in his word, who he says he is, then obedience would be an undeniable part of the definition, right? If I actually believed this, obedience would naturally follow. Faith is an action, stressing again that faith is acting, but not as in pretending, right? It's not as in pretending. It's an action that's done. If you take a look back at Hebrews 11, you will see all the action verbs that are in there. And I wrote down just a few of them. In verse 4, it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God. Verse 7, it was by faith that Noah built. 8, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed and left. 17, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice. 23, it was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months. Do you hear all the verbs? 27, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt. 29, it was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea. Verse 30, it was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho. And I could go on and on, but it should be clear to us, right? Faith is an action. But it's not just any action, it's done in response to God's viewpoint on a matter. Where do we get God's viewpoint? The Bible. That is the sure place where we get his viewpoint. The surest source of God's viewpoint is God's Word. And again, if I actually do believe this, what he says is true in his holy Word about who he is, about what he has done and what he will do, about who I am in Christ, then I will obey him. Regardless of my opinion, Regardless of my experience, regardless of my education, regardless of if I feel that it's true, regardless if I like that it's true, and regardless of if I agree that it's true. Now, there's an excellent example of this in Luke 5, 1 through 10. You can read the whole story. I put a lot of scripture on your handout today, and we're not going to get through all of it, but you can look back at um, these scripture references on your own. Jesus had finished speaking and he says to Simon, who is a fisherman, he says, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. So they shout out for help. Another boat comes and guess what? That boat becomes also full of fish. So simply put, faith is taking God at his word, even if you are an expert professional fisherman and God tells you, put down your nets again, you do it. Right? So there are scriptures on your handout about what we know to be true of God's word. Matthew 24, 35 says, my words will never disappear. First Peter one twenty four through 25 says, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The Isaiah passage on your handout says the word of our God stands forever. Hebrews 6, it is impossible for God to lie. Titus 1, 1 through 3 echoes that same thought, God who does not lie. This is what we know to be true of God's word. So what now what? Is there an area where my faith is lacking? The second I wrote that question, I thought, wow, that's really hard to answer. I don't Hmm. And so that the next, I almost deleted it. And I thought, no, I'm going to follow this train of thought. So I had to ask myself another question to answer that question. Is there an area where my actions are not lining up with God's truth? Where does the pen stutter at, it was by faith that Rhonda fill in the blank? How can I more clearly get God's viewpoint on this matter, whatever it is for you? What truth do I need to believe? What then do I need to do? So there's so much more regarding faith all throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. I chose just five, and they're in no particular order except the first one and the last one because the last one links the next thing I want to say, and the first one I feel like is the most important. And then there's eight in between. Okay. So, and all of these are based on God's Word. I didn't make them up. So, in other words, this is what I say. Faith is is the summary, and you can look to God's Word to understand why I come up with the summary I do. Okay. So. So faith is necessary for salvation. Just one verse there, Romans 1 17. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures, scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous per- person has life. And then again, you can read all the others on your own. Let's go to number two. Faith is a way of life. Galatians two twenty says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we talked about defining faith, we talked about that it's an action, right? It's actions. Living faith is faith in action. Our actions reflect our faith, if you will, or lack thereof, right? Right? Our faith leads to action, even if the action is be still and know that I am God. You realize being still is an action. And it's hard sometimes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. This is why I have two sheep, one standing and one resting on my desk. And I have two sheep where I get ready in the morning, every morning where I sit at my little mirror thing, two sheep, one resting and one standing. And then when I go work out every morning, well six days a week I take Sunday off I think God's good with that down in my workout room is one sheep and he's resting because I think I need that more than going that was that was not in here but I did get extra minutes this morning so there you go all right regarding living faith and dead faith do you know the differentiating factor according to scripture is actions And you can read that in this passage, James 2, 14 through 26. That's really long. So I'm just going to read the first verse, 14 and the last verse, 26. You can fill it in at home. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Then verse 26, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Faith Jesus commends. Now, all through, the look at the gospel sometimes with new eyes as you read it to see how many times Jesus is paying attention to people's faith and he comments on it very frequently. That's encouraging. Jesus is looking at your faith. So this is just one example, Luke 7, 1 through 10 on your handout. And what's happened here is there's a highly v- valued slave of a Roman officer who is sick, actually near death. And so the officer hears that Jesus is coming through. So he sends some respected Jewish elders to actually go to ask Jesus to come and heal his slave. So they do, and Jesus goes. And just before they arrive at the house, the officer sends some friends to say this to Jesus. Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I'm under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go and they go, or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. So I just love that story because there Jesus is commending someone. So he's saying, this is it. I haven't seen anything like this before. Now, there's also times where uh, people's faiths are, are very disappointing to Jesus. One such story on your handout there is Mark 4, 35 through 41. And he's disappointed in his own disciples' faith. And that, that passage starts with, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they get in a boat, big storm comes, Jesus falls asleep, disciples wake him up, and he calms the storm. And then Jesus asked his disciples in verse 40, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And then at the end of that passage, it says in Mark 5, 1, so they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. Jesus said at the beginning, let's cross to the other side of the lake. And then verse 1 in in chapter 5 says, so they arrived at the other side of the lake. Did exactly what Jesus said was going to happen, happen? Faith happens in the in-between. Or doesn't happen in the in-between. But God's word is true. Even in something as little as, let's cross to the other side. Okay, let's keep going. Faith can be developed. One scripture, let's read the Romans 4.20. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger And in this, he brought glory to God. And often God develops our faith through times of testing. And you can read about that in the James passage on your handout and 1 Peter as well. Faith of one can impact another. This is my favorite New Testament Bible story. I have a favorite Old Testament story, and this is my favorite New Testament story and it was the first time I ever got to teach the Bible and I was either three and a half or four years old and Mrs. Melton let me teach this lesson because I think when she held up the little remember the, those pictures the Bible pictures that that 's how it was even before the flannel graph and so she held up the picture of the guys carrying their friend on his mat and they were doing the hole in the roof and lowering him down and when she held that up I lit up and she asked me if I wanted to tell the story and I said yes I do and I stood up and came to the front and this is my favorite story in the whole I mean Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead there's nothing like that one but I love this and I think it it means so much to me because I look at my life and I see how others, other people's faith has impacted me. And that's what this story is, because of the four men who carried the man on the mat. If you don't know the story, if you're not familiar, four friends, here Jesus is coming, and they take their friend who cannot get there on his own. And they take him, and it's too crowded, they can't get in the house where Jesus is talking. Doesn't stop them. They head up to the roof and they cut a hole in the roof. Now picture this, you know, stuff's falling down right on Jesus and the people. And did they get it right the first time? You know, did they cut here? No, to the left. Okay, you know, I don't know. But they cut a hole and they lower their friend down right in front of Jesus. And Jesus says this, let's see. Um, Verse five, seeing their faith, the four men, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. And there's more to the story. The Pharisees jump in there and Jesus makes an even greater point and you can read it on your own because we got to keep going. But think about it. Just stop for a second. Your faith can impact another. That's beautiful. Okay, faith is a gift. Uh, you can read all those on your own. Faith is Protection. We know this from Ephesians 6, right? Ephesians 6, the, the armor of God. I like to say that, and I picture the sword coming out. That's how I remember it. It's in Ephesians 6. It's the whole armor of God. And in that, we find the shield of faith. But look at 1 Thessalonians 5.8. It says, protected by the armor of faith and love. And the 1 John 5 passage says, we achieve this victory over the evil world through our faith. Faith produces generosity. Did you know that? Philemon 1, six. And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith. That's fun, isn't it? Faith is eternal and to be combined with love. Again, our love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 tells us if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. And then at the end it says these three things remain will last forever. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Galatians 5, 6 says, what is important is faith expressing itself in love. Faith is to be encouraged and encouraging. You can read those scriptures on your own. This is what our author of Hebrews is actually doing in Hebrews 11. He is encouraging the Jewish believers in their faith by rehearsing the stories of God's people showing their faith in God. Before we enter the Hall of Faith, I want us to look at the entrance and the exit. Remember that the chapters and the verses were just added by man later. Okay, so this was one big long sermon that we're reading. So if you'll allow me to back up to what we now refer to as Hebrews 10, 37 and 38, we're going to get a clearer and deeper understanding, I believe, of the hall of faith itself, if we'll just go backwards and forwards just a little bit. So in Hebrews 10, 37 through 38, it says, for in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay, and my righteous ones will live by faith. This is actually a quote from Habakkuk 2, 3 in the Old Testament. Again, they w- the, the listeners would know that right away. Oh, he's quoting the Habakkuk. The vision is for a future time is what Habakkuk says. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. The phrase of the righteous living by faith, it comes from Habakkuk, it's quoted in Hebrew, it's also quoted in two other parts in the New Testament, those scriptures are on your handout for you. Then the writer of Hebrew moves on and says to the Hebrew Christians, but we are not like those that turn their back on God. And he proceeds to encourage their faith by taking them back in their own history through this hall of faith. Then we leave the hall of faith in chapter 11, and as we exit, we read, the very first verses of Hebrews 12, therefore, so talking about Hebrews 11, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So we see what the Hall of Fame is there for. Next week, we're going to begin by looking at these verses. So I'm not going to go into them deeply, but I cannot ignore them because this holds our so what now what key of how do we live a life of faith today? Verse 2 tells us, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So what now? What? Where is my focus today? What helps me focus on Jesus? Who helps me focus on Jesus? Who am I helping to focus on Jesus? Well, at last we're in the Hall of Faith. The author moves selectively and rather rapidly through the book of Genesis 1 all the way to Joshua 6 with living faith examples that again his audience will be familiar with. We spent some time this week in our homework on a few of those, but the author changes his format when he gets to verse 32. He says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. Those six names, are there a couple that aren't as familiar to you? Who? Barak, yeah. Anybody else that you're like, oh? And Jephthah. All right, let's talk. Let's talk just briefly about Barak. Okay, so Barak's story is in Judges, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, Joshua, Judges. Here we go. Um, Judges four. I need my glasses because they started printing Bibles smaller. Did y'all notice that? So rude. So here's here's the story of Barak. The Israelites were being disobedient, you know, surprise, right? And so God actually turns them over to the Canaanites, and there's a bad king, King Jabin, and he has a commander-in-chief, if you will, commander of his army, Sisera, and he's, uh, he has 900 iron chariots, and he has been oppressing the Israelites for over 20 years, and the Israelites call out to God, and so God comes to rescue them with a judge, as he, this is the cycle that's going on, In this time period of history and the the judge is actually a woman it's Deborah and so God tells Deborah to call Barak and tell Barak this this is in Judges 4 6 through 8 one day she sent Deborah sent for Barak son of Abinoam who lived in Kiddush in the land of Naphtali she said to him This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Assemble 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, commander, I, God, will lure Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. There I, God, will give you victory over him. So, pretty clear instructions for Barak. And here is what Barak answers Deborah. This is the very next verse. Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. You got to watch these butts in the Bible. And when God says to do something, there really shouldn't be a but after that. And what I love about this story is he's still listed in the hall of faith. Do you get that? He goes, and so does Deborah, by the way. She's like, fine, I'll go. There's going to be consequences, and you can read the whole story. I put the, did I give you a reference on that on your head? Okay, so you can read the whole story for yourself if you want to later. I encourage you to do that. You know, some questions that come up. This also reminds me of Moses and Aaron, right? anyway um, why did barack insist on deborah coming along making it like a stipulation for his obedience we don't know we don't really know for sure but it appears that god's word was not enough for him so in other words he didn't have enough faith and yet he's in the hall of faith be encouraged be encouraged and again his audience knew that they're like barack wait a minute wasn't he the guy who yeah but he did go, and God did do exactly what He said. He got the men from exactly where He said He would. God brought the uh, the, the bad guys to exactly where He said He would. And then, actually, God's the one who gives the the victory. In Judges four fifteen, it says, "When Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot." Again, we see the character of God, full of grace and His faithfulness. And there's Barack in the Hall of Fame. By the way, the Cesare does I- end up dead, and it's not even Barack who does it. It's another woman who puts a tent peg through his, it's pretty gross. Okay, so you can read that story if you want. Um, the other one you said was Jephthah. If we turn over a little bit in Judges to chapter 11. Jephthah. Now, Jephthah, he was an outcast. He was actually an illegitimate son of a prostitute is who he was. And uh, he was rejected by his brothers and he was given absolutely no inheritance um, from his father. He becomes a great warrior. He rises to leadership. He's enlisted to help the Israelites defeat the Ammonites. And he uses his negotiating seal skills before he uses the sword but it does come time to use the sword and he says this Jephthah this is verse 30 and Jephthah made a vow to the Lord he said if you give me victory over the Ammonites I will give to the Lord the first thing coming out of my house to greet me when I return in triumph I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering I do not know what he was expecting to come out of his house I I can't even why would you say that I don't He's in the hall of faith, people. He's in the hall of faith. Be encouraged by this. And again, as he says the name Jephthah, all those people are sitting there thinking, wait, wasn't he the guy who made the rash vow? By the way, he did have um, victory over the evil guys, and his daughter is the one who walks out, and he, he stays true to his word, what scholars don't know is if she uh, was actually killed at the moment or if she just died a virgin and that she was the only child of his. So in other words, he had no offspring, no chance of offspring from then forward. So anyway, those are the two guys you might not have heard about. Um, all right. And, you know, in all, in all, Honesty, Jephthah's not the only one who's made a rash vow before Saul did that and almost cost him his son's life, Jonathan. If the guys wouldn't have saved Jonathan, he'd have been killed. Who else made a rash vow? In the New Testament, Herodias, right? He makes the rash vow and promises the because he was so excited with the dance that you can have anything you want and it cost John the Baptist's head came off. So rash vows not a good thing. Okay? So we have some so what now what's even from these guys Um, first, Jesus is the only true, perfect hero in the Bible or out of the Bible. Anyone else is human and will have faults. So when you look at that list in chapter 11, every one of those people had sin in their lives. And so do I, and so do you. And so does every hero of our faith except for one, and that is Jesus. That should be encouraging to us because they're not in the the hall of faith with uh, by faith Abraham na 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 na, but he lied about his wife. You know Abraham lied about his wife, right? It's more like and he lied about his wife. We know that, but he still had faith. Okay, again, be encouraged. The second, so what, now what, I can't leave it alone, Ecclesiastes 5, 2. Don't make rash promises and don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all, God is in heaven and you are here on earth, so let your words be few. Okay, a couple of so what, now what's from the Hebrews 11 guys, especially the couple we didn't know. So after the naming of the five of the six men, the author then summarizes without using any names. And notice that for some of them, their by faith statement was deliverance through suffering and martyrdom. They actually died. Now this is important. Remember the audience. He wants to make sure that they understand that the triumphant faith in no way implies immunity from persecution, humiliation, violence, even to the point of death. So what now what? I have to ask myself, what is my expectation of a life of faith? They all lived by faith does not equate with they all lived happily ever after. They all lived happily ever after here on earth. It's better than that. They all lived by faith. They all lived happily forever after for all of eternity with God. Okay, get it clear. The last verses of chapter 11 link the Old Testament to the New Testament believer. And we exit the hall of faith again into chapter 12 where we find out why it's therefore and it points us to Jesus, our champion, it says the originator and perfecter of our faith. We leave the hall of faith in chapter 11, but the hall of faith is not closed. There remains the cloud of witnesses. I want to read to you. I don't read often, but this was so good, and I don't want to take credit for the words. This is from a book called Extraordinary Women of Christian History, and it said exactly what I was feeling when I was beginning to write this lecture. We easily imagine that the demarcation between biblical history and church history is very clear, one stopping as suddenly as the other begins, one sacred, the other secular, but the church fathers recognized a continual flow as a river from one century to the next. True, they stipulated certain writings as the canon of scripture, but one generation of believers followed another with no assumption that those featured in the biblical text had an edge over those who followed after. They are part of that cloud of witnesses, a long train of believers who first walk out of the pages of Genesis and continue on to the present day. I had seven to share with you. I've got seven minutes, so I, I'm i going to share two with you. I think I'll have time for two. This is Catherine. Her name is Catherine. She was born in 1901, and she passed away in 1998 So, uh, in America, so you know your American history. So that means she lived through World War I, World War II, uh, the Roaring Twenties, the Great Depression, etc. She almost died actually at the age of four. She did finish high school, which was not that common in those days. She went on to college but became very ill and had to drop out of college. She married, she raised four girls. She worked as a seamstress. She actually designed the dress that she's wearing in the middle there. She was widowed at the age of 57 She taught God's Word for 61 years. One story, one Catherine's story, we'll call this the near arrest of Mrs. Redmond. She was in her 80s and Catherine was on her way to church to teach the Bible and she hit a utility pole and there was a family coming behind her in a car and so they of course pulled, this was before the time of cell phones, and they pulled over to see if they could help with the accident and, you know, are you okay, and what can we do for you, and she said, just take me to River Oaks Baptist Church. My class will be waiting for me to teach the lesson, so they reluctantly, because they thought, you know, maybe she should go to the hospital or something, they put her in their car. They take her to River Oaks Baptist Church. Mrs. Redmond begins teaching her Sunday school lesson, and the police show up because they found her car, and what I love about the story is they knew It's a Sunday, she's at church, but she did the wrong thing because she left the scene of an accident. So they come to River Oaks Baptist Church to take Mrs. Redmond, and the preacher and the head of the, the chairman of the deacons, intercepted the police and said, would you let Mrs. Redmond finish her lesson? So they let her finish teaching, and immediately after her lesson, they came in to get her. Well, the ladies in her Sunday school class felt that she was not treated as nicely as Mrs. Redmond should have been. So they showed up at the city council meeting the next week, as did the newspaper. And thus you had the headline born for all times of the little old lady arrested at church teaching her Sunday school lesson. She then resigned teaching because she could no longer drive. She probably shouldn't have been driving that morning. And her class said, please, please keep teaching. We'll we'll get you. We'll get you to church. So they did, and she did. She continued teaching God's word until the age of 88. She loved Jesus and pointed others to him through her life and the faithful teaching of God's word. Catherine's by faith. By faith, Catherine loved God's word lived God's word, and taught and taught and taught God's word. You can meet her one day. This is Betty. Her name is Betty. Mm, Maybe you're not going to see Betty. Can you flip me to the next one? It's not working again. There you go. Thank you. Her name is Betty. She was born in 1957. She's still living today. She's a wife and mother of twin boys, really twin men by now. She worked as a high school teacher and then in administration after getting her master's. She's officially retired and is now working with Texas A&M student teachers as the university supervisor. Because Betty is still living, I have some quotes from her. So I'd like to set the scene of different parts of her life and then tell you what Betty says in her own words. I felt God calling me to be a university supervisor to a and student teachers a couple of years ago. That's really a mentoring relationship as well, both for the student teachers and their cooperating teacher. There have been several times when the girls have shared with me their walk with God, and it has opened the door for me to then share scripture and encourage them in some of the ways God has helped me and walked with me. I'm so grateful that God has put me in their lives at such a strategic and pressure-filled time. She's been teaching multi-generational women the Bible for 24 years and continues to do so. Her class ranges in age from 20s to 80s. A quote from Betty. Uh, I'm going to skip down. I started teaching a ladies Bible study class in 1994. There were two or three couples classes in our department. Russell, her husband, had begun teaching in third grade, and I thought there were several ladies whose husbands either didn't come or whose husbands taught somewhere that would enjoy a ladies' class. I asked one of our department leaders if we could start a ladies' class. If there wasn't anyone they had in mind to teach it and leadership was okay with it, I would teach it. Our education minister said if we could get four people, then we could start the class. We had four to six ladies, and the class started. Fast forward from 1994 to 2018, the class is much larger now. There's now a director and a substitute teacher. Betty says, The overwhelming challenge and at times depressing for me was to maintain the intimacy and class participation in such a fast growing group of ladies. We now have five r- in leaders, probably looking to add another one an outreach social leader, a prayer leader, and a director. God's given me these ladies not only to help take care of the class, but to take care of me and help keep me from feeling overwhelmed. They've taken over many of the aspects of the class I once did when we were so small. God has always been faithful to give me ways to teach the lesson. It's been amazing to be used by him and to be a part of his work. I know that I can't do anything without him. He brings them, he teaches them, I just listen and pass it on. While she was working in administration with the school district, she became aware at weekly meetings of the challenges of the local homeless students in her district. As of just last year, there were 800 students documented as homeless. There was a project called Project Hope that had a wish list, a want list for by month, And she brought this to the attention of the ladies in her class, and they began giving to Project Hope, her quote. This past year, one of the ladies in my class has encouraged another Bible study she's in to give to the project, and a couples class that has adopted, Russell and I have added Project Hope to their monthly ministry list. It's been fun to see this ministry from our church to the homeless students to Brian grow, and the relationship with the coordinator and her assistance is a blessing as well. Can you hear the connection between Betty's mind, heart, and her actions? Her husband and boys are big baseball fans. I'm like talking over the top. Her church was going to Germany to partner with a church there to teach the German boys, some girls mainly boys to play baseball. It's not a, it's not a European sport and it's a real way to reach the atheists and non-believers in that country. And she thought, "Could I do this? I've never played baseball. I've watched a lot of baseball though." So she partnered with her husband to co coach but she really found her niche and they needed someone to somebody to write the devotional time curriculum and she was able to do that Mm. I won't have time to read her quote on that but it was beautiful because she's developed such a heart for these people there's two boys in particular Fabian and Lewis who she's still in contact with through whatsapp and she says They know the gospel but have not accepted it yet. Lewis had a lot of questions. He told me he was going to keep searching. I said I would send him scriptures as God laid them on my heart and couldn't wait to see what God does in his life. We fist bumped and I told him how fun this was going to be. We texted yesterday and he has started in the military for a year and told me he was still seeking God. She's a mentor in a young mom's group, mops in the morning and evening sessions where where's my leader Tammy can I have four more minutes okay Um, I'm amazed at how God uses his his working in my life and scriptures he lays on my heart to share and apply to their individual situations I mostly listen but when God brings those scriptures to mind I share them I'm inspired by their reception of his word in the morning group I work with the same seven to eight girls in the fall and spring one of the things they do each week is write down their prayer request I don't have any wisdom of my own but God has been faithful to put scriptures on my heart to send them, to encourage them. Betty is also a foster mimi. She's fostered over 11 foster children to date, and her son and daughter-in-law have now adopted three of their former foster children. Before the adopt, this is Betty's quote, before the adoption, it looked like the three brothers would be going back to their parents. The state was pushing to reunite them, even though the situation was horrible. It was so depressing to us all. At one point, I was so overcome with worry. God gave me several verses that I clung to and read sometimes every few minutes when I was under attack. One of the ladies in my class was on the county welfare board and she came in one day saying the job of the CPS is to reunite children with their parents. I pretty much did a get thee behind me Satan thing when I said you know I can't listen to that but here is what God gave me and I am clinging to it. Please pray these verses with me and I gave why worry when I can pray out to the ladies in my class. I didn't want to sit through the trial when the judge was determining whether the rights of the parents would be terminated or whether the boys could be adopted. I just told God, I can't listen to all those children have been through. God very plainly said to me, just sit back and watch me work. So it gave me a whole new perspective, and even though it was hard to hear, I was amazed once again at how powerfully he worked through the whole proceeding. This judge, who was known to give kids back to their parents practically at all costs terminated rights. She goes on, you can find Betty in these pictures um, of a group of her young moms and her German baseball team and as an adopted with her adopted grandsons and with a couple of her Bible study ladies, if you know what she looks like. Basically, you might think Betty just blends in, but not to me. Her life reminds me of Daniel twelve three. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. Betty's by faith. By faith, Betty lives an ordinary life, extraordinarily, listening to and obeying God as she loves him and loves the others he just places in her life. I'm thankful to God he placed me in Betty's life. And the hall of faith continues in your life. So what, now what is on your handout? Who's in the hall of faith in your life? Who's pointed you to Jesus by the way they lived? If she or he is still alive, tell them. Talk to them about it. That would encourage their faith. And so what, now what? And whose hall of faith are you? Who are you pointing to Jesus? I wish I could sit in each one of your groups today to hear your by-faith stories. Did you feel a little intimidated as you wrote? As you wrote those, and kind of felt like, "Wow, what am I doing here?" Oh, before I forget, I do have some of Betty's. She sent me the cards that she passed out to her ladies. Her by-face cards, the verse, uh, 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 the verses that she was praying. When so, if you want some of those, I made some copies. You help yourself to that. I want to tell you the caution I wrote in the very front of my study because do you have this fear that you're going to die someday and somebody's going to go through all your Bible study books and read I'm like dear Lord Jesus I don't want them to think so I put a caution in the front and then every time I did a by faith I refer back to the caution on page 130 (laughs) so my caution by faith Rhonda blank statements tend to accentuate the positive in line with the Hebrews 11 model Just as every single individual listed in the Hall of Faith had sinned, so do I. Perhaps the most honest, by-faith Rhonda statement would be, By faith, Rhonda, trust in the blood of Jesus to forgive and redeem her. Colossians 2, 6 and 7, And now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Let's pray. Dear Father, our hearts do overflow with thankfulness to you. Thank you for Hebrews 11. Thank you that the hall of faith continues. Thank you for the faith of those who have gone before us, who are here with us now, and who we have yet to meet. May you receive all the glory, and the honor, and the praise as we share in our groups today. Thank you for Jesus, our champion, who initiates and perfects our faith, and it is in his name.